0: Let's bow together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who willingly came and died for our sins and rose from the dead. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you take care of us. Thank you that you watch over us. Thank you that you love us. And Lord, thank you for this time that we have to be in your word. I pray that you would enable me to share it exactly as you desire and that each one of us would respond in a way that is glorifying to you. We praise you and thank you for this morning and this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, there are many things that uh, every human being experiences, whether they like it or not. Um, We all experience uh, uh, the sun rising, the heat of the sun We all experience uh, and can see the glorious reality of what God has created. Each and every one of us needs to eat every day. There are things that we all experience uh, and that uh, we all have in common. Now, God is the one that brings forth these things. God is the one that shines his sun on us. God is the one that uh, brings about the food that we have each day. God is the one that does so. And these things really, like the sun as we'll see today, and like what we see in the heavens, uh, God is uh, revealing his glory through those things, and everyone sees it, no matter if they believe in the Lord or not. God speaks to us, but yet there's another way in which God speaks to us, that we have a choice. It's available to everyone, but we have a choice to whether we will respond. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at the wonder of God's word would you turn your Bibles to Psalm 19? Psalm 19. And we're going to look at the first nine verses today and Lord willing finish up the rest next week. But, uh, this Psalm is, uh, is just what it says. It's a Psalm. Now, the term Psalms in our English language comes from the Greek word psalmoi, which originally meant to pluck a string. And, uh, in Hebrew, we see that this idea speaks of a song. A song, and the Psalms are actually Israel's inspired lyrics. They are inspired lyrics to their to their inspired uh, these um, lyrics or hymns. They are a book of praise in poetic form, originally set to music. Now the Psalms are broken up into five books, and uh, within those books we have 150 Psalms. Now when we interpret the Old Testament, we understand that there's the Law. Uh, that's speaking of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. There are the prophets, and we understand what those books are. There are the Psalms and the writings. And within this, we have uh, those writings as uh, wisdom writings, like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Now, all Scripture is God-breathed. And now, with the law and the prophets, we have God bringing his revelation to us. And in the Psalms, we have the inspired response of man back to the Lord, the inspired response of man back to to the Lord concerning his word, and in the writings, we have the inspired response of reflecting on God's word from one to another. We see now, in this, we come to Psalm 19. Notice in the first portion, it is for the choir director a psalm of David. A psalm of David. Now, what do we know about David? Uh, we do know a lot about David. We know that scripture reveals that he was the second king. Of Israel, After King Saul, he was a believer, and yet, as you know, he was a sinner like you and I. He was a sinner like you and I. Now, with that in mind, the Apostle Paul, when he was preaching in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, he says this of David in Acts 13:22. he says, And after he removed him, that's speaking of the Lord removing Saul, He raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he has testified and said, I have found David, the son of of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now, from the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought forth to Israel a Savior, Jesus. David was a man who would do the Lord's will. And on a side note, are you willing to do the Lord's will? It's difficult. It's impossible. You have to trust Christ. Uh, he has his instructions, his, his desires for us, his will and his word concerning every sphere of our lives. And are we willing to do so? Well, David was. And yet we know that David fell greatly. David fell greatly, and there were consequences for that fall. Uh, we know that uh, David fell with Bathsheba, and he caused her husband Uriah to be killed in battle, thus being culpable for his death. And having fallen into great sin, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that Nathan the prophet confronts David concerning his sin, and David responds. He's a real believer. He responds, and yet there are consequences because of the name of God being blasphemed. the child from this adulterous relationship would die, and because of what David had done, the sword would never leave his house, and he would be humiliated in the open with his wives with what he did in secret, And yet, David, as we see in Scripture, he repented. He confessed his sin. In light of that, uh, he wanted thus to teach sinners the ways of the Lord. Psalm 51, verse 12 Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. So, this is a psalm of David. It is for the choir director. Obviously, the choir director is directing the choir. It's going to be sung. It's going to be sung. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at the wonder of the word. And we're going to gain some insight into why he reveals his general revelation in a sense and why we see his specific revelation and then the right attitude that we should have regarding that. Psalm 19, for the choir director, a psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterance to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his run its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat." The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous all together. Now that's what we're going to look at today, but I want to keep reading because it's all together here. They, that's speaking of God's, the word of the Lord, they are more desirable than gold, yes, much fine gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a wonderful passage. And so as we come to the psalm, I want to point out some structure, which you probably saw as I read through it. First of all, in verses 1 through 6, we have uh, what we would call God's general Revelation. And then we have, uh, in verses 9 to 11, uh, specific revelation, special revelation. His word described concerning what it is, what it does, and what it does. And then we see in verses 12 to 14, a personal illustration and instruction concerning how we are to respond to his glorious word. A lot of people will accept what's said in the first 11 verses, but they don't have a right heart. They may know a lot of God's word, but we see we have to have the right heart when it comes to understanding and following and obeying in the word of God and the God of the word. So then let's get to our passage. Notice, first of all, the heavens tell everyone of God's glory, yet not in words. Everyone, everyone. For the choir director of Psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses declaring the work of his hands. Again, this is a Psalm of David for the choir director. It's David's inspired words set to music, and here we see, and here we see, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And what are the heavens? Well, obviously, it's what we see beyond this earth, right? It's what we see when we look in the sky, but actually, up in space, in a sense, right? We have a mid heaven where birds fly. We have the sky where planes are. But if you look past up there, you see uh, the expanse. The expanse. In the middle of verse 1, their expanse speaks of an expanded plain. Speaks of a large open space or an expanse. Speaking of the heavens. Indeed, in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, we see God created the heavens and the earth. We also see he created that expanse within. That was a summary statement verse 1. And in verse 7 of Genesis 1, he created an expanse. And in Genesis 1:14, God said, "Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day and night; let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years; and let them be lights in the expanse to give light on the earth." And it was so. So then, we all understand it. When you look up in the sky, you see the you see the stars and the moon. You look and see the sun. Uh, What is that? That's the heavens. That's the heavens. And so in our passage, we have the heavens are telling of the glory of God. The word translated telling could be translated literally recounting. They recount the glory of God. They recount something that has already happened. They reveal something. They are telling. They are recounting. And here they are recounting to you and to you and to you and to me and to everyone, as we'll see, the glory of God. And you say, how so? Well, I don't even need to explain this, whether you believe the word of God or not, uh, because God says so. When you see the vastness of the expanse and its order and its grandeur, there's no rejecting the reality that God created this to his glory, no matter who you are. You can say you don't believe it. It doesn't matter. You are seeing it. It is speaking to you. It is recounting the glory of God. And this glorious handiwork, notice we see this, and the is declaring the work of his hands. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God did so. And you just look up there, and all these scientists, you know, who are blinded by their own sin, by the way, that's the issue. They don't want to repent of their sin. They see all this amazing stuff, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, as we will see, but they actually are hearing it. They are hearing what God is saying, whether they acknowledge it, Or not. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Notice this verse 2. And night reveals knowledge. It's speaking. And at night there's knowledge. There's wisdom. You look at that. You look at the stars and how they're set apart and how they're they're different yet ordered. It's all uh, reveals knowledge. You look at it. It's revealing the work of his hands. It's recounting that he created it. It's far beyond us. It's the heavens. Now, most people will teach this and call this general revelation, and it is, and it is. But the passage here is not speaking about God's complete creation. It's not speaking about the earth. It's not speaking about mankind. We certainly know, like we'll see in Romans 1, certainly the creation of, Right, We know that that reveals God's glory. People suppress the truth. You look at how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You look at the beauty of this world. You look at the things that God's created. But here, this is talking about the heavens. And so when we say general revelation, it's not complete general revelation. It's part of it. It's part of it. It's what you see in day and night. It's specifically the heavens. And so then notice, the sky is speaking to us god is speaking to us it's recounting of his glory but notice there's no actual speech verse three there is no speech nor are there words their voice is not heard you don't look up in the sky and you hear this voice this is the creation of god right you don't hear that do you you don't hear a voice come out you look at it and it declares it tells it speaks it's it's a metaphor God is not literally speaking through the heavens. He is metaphorically speaking to Him. He is speaking to us through what he has created. And when you see it, it is undeniable. Uh, It speaks to you of a glorious creator, no matter who you are. And there's not one person who doesn't see it. Well, the scarf would say, what about the blind person? Well, later on, we'll see that its heat from the sun affects everyone. There's not one person who has not been affected by the heat of the sun uh, every day. So notice verse 4. Their line has gone out through all the earth, their utterance to the end of the world in them. Speaking of the heavens, he has placed a tent for the sun. Speaking of the heavens, hey, it's a place where the sun is tented, right? In the heavens, that's where it is. The heavens are where the sun are. It's like a tent around it. And then we have a description concerning this sun. He says, place the tent for the sun, which is as, notice this, whenever you see as, like, or as, it's metaphoric. It's giving an explanation. It's giving a comparison. Which as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It's like this glorious bridegroom coming out for the wedding. It's like a strong man running his course. Uh, It's like that. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, its circuit is to the other end. Of, and then the false guys who suppress the truth and righteousness are saying, okay, we know the sun doesn't move. Well, the perspective here is from someone on earth looking, seeing the sun rise and set in the heavens. So it's absolutely true. And notice this last statement. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. You can't get around it no matter who you are. You have felt the heat of the sun. There's not one person that has not felt it. There's nothing, not one thing that hasn't felt it. Whether you believe in it or not, you are experiencing the heat of God's glorious creation, the sun, part of it, a little more in Florida, a little less in Minnesota, but you're experiencing that, right? You're experiencing that. So then, so far we see what God has created can be seen in in the heavens, it can be seen, and you can feel the heat of the sun. It is speaking to us, Something unmistakably, it is recounting of the glory of God is declaring the works of his hands day in and day out. You see the sun in the daytime, you go out and see the stars at night. It is revealing his glorious handiwork, handiwork. And again, I mentioned that's what we call general revelation, but this passage is only speaking of one element of God's general revelation. So we need to be careful when we start boxing things into theological boxes. And theologians like to do that. We need to be careful. Yes, it's part of it, but is that the point? We're going to need to ask the question as we interpret this, why does he share this, and then why does he share about God's word? Why does he share about just that portion of uh, creation speaking to us and not other portions? We're going to have to look at that. Look at that. Now, in chapter 1 of Romans, we know that God has made these things. He has created it and turned it out, Romans 1, and God's wrath is against those who reject it. God's creation, his, his heavens are declaring or speaking to us. That's specifically what God says speaks to us. He doesn't say the earth does. He doesn't say our creation, our, our magnificent bodies do. He says the heavens do. The heavens do. They are declaring the glory of God. They pour forth speech every single day. Romans one eighteen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, notice this, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness sin is the issue you think you need to use apologetics to win everyone to christ no they need to see their sin now there might be a bridge to start a conversation nothing wrong with that but people are in their sin they don't come to jesus john 3 as the lord would say because they love their sin that's the issue that's what god's word says so they suppress the truth in unrighteousness Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal powers, divine, has been clearly seen, has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. That includes everything there in this one, okay? Uh, So that they are without excuse. There's not one person that has an excuse for saying there's no God. You're without excuse. This should lead you to be convicted and seek the Lord, right? Now God does that. Uh, Through his word, he does, he places the gospel nearby you. We see in Acts chapter 17, he has pointed our our boundaries of habitation uh, that we might seek him. Now we know no one seeks him on his own. He's the one that brings that about, but he works those circumstances. And so then it's been clearly understood. So they're without excuse for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. There you go. That's really important, by the way. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And then God gave them over. God gave people over to sin so they they, would reveal who they really are. They would see themselves for what they really are, sinners in need of a Savior. He gave them over to those degrading, debasing things. They would see who they are. So God's wrath is against mankind, unrighteousness, who suppressed it. But we know God is a gracious God, that although we are unrighteous, he has revealed his righteousness through his holy arm, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has brought that righteousness forth, and we through faith may receive his righteousness if we trust and believe in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. We can have the righteousness of Christ, and his wrath is removed from us because Jesus bore the penalty on the cross for our sins. So then, through Jesus, we can receive righteousness. But back to our passage. So uh, we have this, uh, what people call general revelation. It's a portion of it, no doubt about that. But then we have what people call special revelation, and that's certainly true. That's a theological category, which we're going to look at here. And what am I talking about? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. So why does he start out here uh, with this portion about God's creation, the heavens specifically, speaking, telling, recounting of God's glory, and that no one misses it? Why does he start that? And then why does he go into... God's specific revelation in the word. Well, although I'm not sure, it seems as though our passage gives us a subtle contrast to that which everyone has heard from God through creation, and then one's culpability to that which God offers through his word, which we must choose to listen to. We have the choice in the second. No one has the choice to, to in, in creation. It's shining on you, and you know it's there. But with God's word, You have a choice to how you respond. You have a choice to if you will receive it. It's open. We saw in that portion in Proverbs. We'll see it later on. God yells out, in a sense. Wisdom shouts in the streets. It's available. God's truth in the word concerning Jesus Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, is available. It's available. So with this in mind, his general revelation, uh, speaking clearly to us daily, Uh, Notice we have the Lord's glorious words speaking to those who will humbly listen. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. Now, did you notice something repeated there? Of the Lord, 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 right? We're going to see that this is the word of the Lord described in different synonyms with different Hebrew parallel poetic nuances. In Hebrew, there's parallelism, and there are nuances to it. And so we have a statement. Then we have a statement about what it is, the word, and then it's characteristic. And then we have a statement about what it does for us. What it does for us. So first of all, let's take a look at what we have in this parallel statements, what God's word is called, because we can learn from that also. Again, each one of these descriptions is of the Lord. Now, in your Bibles, you'll have a little note in the front that gives you help in interpreting things. When you look in the, now I'm talking about the the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, when you see L-O-R-D in large caps, that is speaking of Yahweh. When you see large L-O-R-D in small caps, that's speaking of Adonai. That means master. Now, the term Yahweh uh, speaks of self-existence. It is the first person singular of the verb to be in, he- in Hebrew. I am. That's what it means. That's what Yahweh means. Now, there was a mistransliteration of that. That's where we get the word Jehovah, Jehovah. But it's Yahweh. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so here it speaks of self-existence. It speaks of deity. You might remember when Moses was at the burning bush, he's talking to God. Uh, he says, well, who am I going to tell the Israelites your name is? What am I going to tell your name is? What's your name? And uh, the Lord answers, Yahweh, Asher, Yahweh. I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The self-existence. The Lord has Done so. The Lord. So notice the first description in our passage. The law of the what? Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The term law here comes from the Hebrew word Torah. Now we know that speaks very specifically of the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's in, but we also, and it's good for us to understand, that the term Torah also means instruction. It means instruction. Okay? And so you could think of the law of Moses as the instruction of Moses. More specifically, God's word that was brought through Moses. Now remember, Jesus made it clear that what Moses write was, wrote was scripture. From Scripture is written word. Luke twenty-four, twenty-seven, when Jesus had risen from the dead, on the third day those dejected disciples were walking away, and he talked to those who were who were um, slow of hearing and slow to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. And it says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The truth from the Lord that came through Moses is the scripture. We see that. But we see that the term scripture speaks of written word. Second Peter 1.20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, written word, prophecy of scripture, is a matter of one's own interpretation. Hey, you don't get the choice to figure out what it means. God intended what it means. It's not of one's own interpretation. It's not what you think and what you think and what I think. It's what God intended he says here, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Thus says the Lord. It was God's word through men inspired by the Spirit. Folks, indeed, the Lord inspired by, uh, the Lord through men inspired by the Spirit brought forth in the prophets in the Old Testament the written word, prophecy of Scripture, the written word. We know from Hebrews chapter 1, God, after he spoke long ago through, to the fathers in the prophets, spoke in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. You see, we have God bringing forth his word that speaks of his son in many portions, many ways, recorded in the Old Testament scriptures. And now we have God speaking through his son, Jesus bringing forth his word, him being the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets being that part of that foundation. We now have the New Testament, the completed word. And within that, we have the faith, what we believe once for all delivered to the saints. So indeed, we see in 2 Timothy that all the written word scripture that God uses, he uses it to equip us for every good work. If there was more revelation, then he couldn't say every good work. Maybe it's what revelation... I heard of some terrible pastor who passed away the other day. Uh, He was full of all kinds of revelations all the time. God said this, God said that. Well, that's not God's word. That doesn't equip you for every good work. That leads you astray. It is God's written word, not prophetic utterances of false prophets of this age. The foundation has been laid through the apostles and prophets. And apart from a moment in the, in the, in the, in the um, tribulation where those two prophets will speak, God has completed his word. We see that. Second Timothy 2.13. All scripture, written word, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, ha- equipped for every good work, every single one. We know in 2 Peter chapter 1 that he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, for we have his precious and magnificent promises. It's through them we partake of the divine nature. When we become divine, we partake of his godliness, his nature. We become like Christ. So then, the Old Testament we have here in our passage, we have an initial sixfold poetic description of the word of the Lord. And so I warn you at this point not to take every single one so far that you miss the point. This is God's word, but he's going to explain it in six different ways. He's going to have it talk about it, but don't take it too far where you make too much out of these, these descriptions. They're there. It's poetic. It's helpful. There are some nuances, and we need to look at it, but don't take it too far. So first of all, we see it's his instruction. It's the law of the Lord. And now we'll get back to those other portions of what it does and what it is, but let's look at the initial portion. Then, secondly, in verse 7, we have the testimony of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Testimony speaks of witness or testimony. Again, another synonym for the word of the Lord, okay? In verse 8, we have the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The term preset speaks of regulations or procedures in the context of instruction. Regulations or procedures in the context of instruction. Middle of verse 8, we have the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Hebrew word mitzvah. We all understand what a commandment is, right? We understand that. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean and during prayer. We'll say, wait a second, the fear of the Lord isn't his word. That's something that happens to us. Well, in this context, what it is, it's the fear of the Lord that the word of God brings forth. That's really what it's talking about. The fear that God's word in context brings forth. You see, and we're going to see, obviously, God's word brings about reverence within the submitted heart, Right. And then secondly, we see the judgments, end of nine, of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. Judgments here speak of those judgments that come forth from God's word, those judgments. So then it's speaking of God's word, it's speaking of God's word, the word of the Lord described in six different ways. So in a subtle contrast to the ongoing speech through the heavens that recounts of his glory and handiwork, that which is not spoken in words, we have specific speech from God through his word, his law, testimonies, precepts, commandments, which cause us to fear and reveal his judgments. It's his word. It's his word. So now at this point, David begins to reveal the characteristics of God's word and what it does for those who will humbly Receive it, what it does for those who will humbly receive it. You see, we have a choice to accept or reject God's word. We can't accept or reject the sun's heat. It's there no matter what. We can air condition. We can do different things. We can turn the heater to whatever it might be. We cannot reject it. It's there. But with God's word, we can accept it or reject it. We can either take God's word as it is, God's word, or we can reject it. Remember the Thessalonians. Paul praised God and thanked him because these pagans received the word of God for what it really was. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. These were pagans. They were pagans and they turned from idols to serve the one and only living true God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. I was thinking about that. Are you waiting for his son? Boy, if this life is it, oh man, that's a problem. Man, I can't wait till I'm glorified because I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want people to sin against me. I don't want to sin. I want to be in glory with my Lord. Are you waiting eagerly for Jesus? I hope so. They were. And notice they had responded to the word of God, First Thessalonians 2.13. And for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Praise the Lord, they accepted it. But we can become dull. We can start to reject it, can't we? We can just kind of push it away. Proverbs twenty-eight nine: He who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayers is an abomination. We have a choice. Now, I remember some pastor a long time ago said, "Sin will keep you from this book, or book this book will keep you from sin." We know in First John chapter two that he says, "These things have I have written that you may not sin." But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. God's word keeps us from sin; it protects us, as we'll see. But we have to have the right heart. It's not just simply words on a page or words in your Bible or just a Bible study. We're going to see at the end of this study, which I want to keep reminding us of, which we're not going to get to today, we need to have the right heart. We need to have a heart that realizes that we need God to forgive us of the things we didn't realize we did. And we need God to protect us from the overt things we're about to do that are wrong and that our heart's and our thoughts would be glorifying to him. Okay? So then, after we're born again, you know, we hear the living abide in the Word. That's the same word God uses to grow us in respect to salvation. Same word. We know this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you really got saved... Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13. The 2.13s 2, are good in the Thessalonians, by the way. Um, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. We've got to believe what God's Word says. We've got to believe what He says. We've got to believe Him. We've got to trust Him. So with that in mind, we have God's Word. God's Word. And now we're going to have some... Uh, descriptions of God's word, and then we'll have descriptions of what it does for those who will listen, what it does for those who will listen. Notice, first of all, back in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The word translated perfect here in Hebrew speaks of being complete or sound. It can be translated unblemished or without defect. We'll see that in in in, in Leviticus and Numbers. You know, if something's perfect, uh, it's without defect, I have a perfect car. It's a new car. There are no dents. There's no scratches. It's without defect. It's unblemished. You see? That's what it means. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong. It's perfect, right? It's complete. Now, God's word is perfect. It is actually without error. It is without defect. It is perfect. Now, if you don't understand something, or I don't understand something, or we think something sounds contradictory, that's not on God's side. That's on our side. That's because we don't have, we have a flawed understanding in that moment. But God's Word is perfect. So when I don't understand, I don't go, hmm, wait a second, what's wrong here? No, nothing's wrong here. God's Word is perfect. It's complete. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every Word of God is tested. The Word speaks of being smelted or refined. It speaks of the idea of proving its purity. Proving its purity. It's without a blemish. 2 Samuel 22, 31, David says, uh, As for God, his ways blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. It's tested. Psalms 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, tried, tried in a furnace on earth, refined seven times. Thou, O Lord, will keep them. It's perfect. It's complete. And for, in Titus chapter 1, it says, It's impossible for God to lie. God who cannot lie, his word is true, as we 'll see later on, but it 's perfect, it is without error, it is without it is inerrant, and it 's also complete it 's complete it 's everything we need. We saw that in second Peter that he has given us his precious and magnificent promises. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We don't think so at times, and that's a lack of faith, by the way, and that's going to ensnare you. When you don't think what God has declared and revealed to you in his word is enough for you to make it through this life and for godliness, then faith is waning and there needs to be confession because you're going to be ensnared and ensnared. So then here we have... This word that equips us for every good work. We have the faith which was delivered once for all to the saints. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It's without blemish. It's without blemish. What else does our passage say? Look at the next one, then we'll get to the actions in a moment. The next one says here, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Uh, the term rest- restoring, notice what this is. Notice what happens. Notice what it does here. Notice what God's word does. The term restoring here comes from the Hebrew word shuv. That's the word almost completely every time used to, to tra- translate it, repent. It means to turn. It means to turn. God's word turns our souls. God's word is complete and it turns our souls. Now the implication in the NSB is that in turning you're being restored. That's the implication. That's true. God's word turns our souls. It convicts us of sin, and it corrects us if we are willing to listen. If we're willing to listen. It's it's God speaking through it, but are we willing to listen? He convicts us. He corrects us. God's word does so. On a daily basis, God's word turns our souls. We were turned when we first believed his word of the gospel, turned our souls to realize we were sinners in need of a savior, and we trusted in Jesus Christ. God's word restores our souls. Some of your souls need some restoring out there, either initially or, or even in your walk now. You need God's word to turn it, to turn it, to restore it. Get into God's word and get your soul restored. There's a good bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> then notice what else we see. The testimony, Lord, is sure. It's sure. The term sure speaks of support or confirmation, being firm or trustworthy. God's word is faithful because he's faithful. His word is sure. You can stand on it. You can stand on it. It is solid. It is sure. Sure. And I love this, uh, what Solomon says when he blessed the assembly in 1 Kings chapter 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Listen to this. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he promised through Moses his servant. Not one word has failed. His word is sure. When he says, he'll guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus, then be, instead of worrying, praying and thanking God, right? When he tells us something, it is sure. Don't forget that. Revelation 21.5, he who sits on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. Amen, that's going to be great. And he said, right, for these things are faithful and true. They're sure, they're faithful, they're firm, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, elders are to be those who hold fast the faithful word. His, he does what he says. He is faithful to his word. Not one word is, has has uh, failed. So with that in mind, his faithful word is sure, it's solid. It's, you can stand on it, standing on the promises, right? Uh, with that in mind, what does it do for us? Notice this next description. We we were restored earlier. Now notice it says, making wise... The simple, the term simple is often translated naive in Proverbs. It speaks of someone who lacks understanding, who lacks understanding. Now, he's not someone who has it and has rejected it as scoffing at it. It's someone who lacks it. Now, if you think that's okay, it's only okay for a minute, but you should get understanding. If you don't get it, then you become the fool and then you become the scoffer, you see? So it speaks of someone who lacks understanding, Proverbs verse chapter 9, verse 4, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. Speaking of the word, calling out, God's wisdom calling, hey. Just like the, like the creation is calling out, hitting you with the sun. God calls out with his word, but we have a choice to accept it or not. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, come eat my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. God's word brings forth wisdom on those who will receive it. I read this earlier. Well, actually, let's go there. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Making wise the simple. Making wise the naive. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And this is a good way. If you study studying Proverbs, don't forget this first part because this explains all that's going on in Proverbs, by the way. It's really helpful. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive. okay? To youth, uh, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wisdom, wise counsel, excuse me. To understand a proverb, a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. That's helpful for interpreting proverbs, by the way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But wisdom in Proverbs we see is is the woman is personified as wisdom, and she's all over the place saying, come here, listen, listen, it's available, available, available. There's not one person in this county who couldn't have come here this morning to hear the word of God. Well, maybe there are for some physical reasons, but I mean, it's open. There are churches around here. You can hear the word of God. You can grab a Bible. You can go on the Internet. God's word is there if you want to hear it. Proverbs one twenty. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts up her voice in a square. Turn to my, ooh, we don't like this, reproof. Yes, I should like it because God needs to reprove us because we're messed up and God is changing us and, and, and sanctifying us. Praise the Lord, we're on our way to glory. Turn to my reproof, I'll pour out my spirit on you and you'll make my words known to you. There you go, there you go. Open offer, open offer. Because I called and you refused, stretched my hand, no one paid attention. Then we read this earlier, all the... Uh, all the dread that comes upon one who rejects the wisdom of God, right? For the wherewardness and naive shall kill them, and the complacency of fools shall destroy them, verse 32, Proverbs 1. But he who listens to me shall live securely and be and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. Hey, you know, you have kids have night terrors and evil. You know, you want sweet sleep for your kids? Give them the word of God. Get them focused on the Lord. God's word has promises in it. It has, it has safety in the context of trusting the Lord, we say. So then, it's making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. Some of us have been simple too long in some areas. We need to let God's word give us wisdom, right? Now notice the next one. Back in our passage, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The term right means straight. It means upright, as opposed to being twisted or perverted. They're straight. They are morally just. They are morally right. They are upright. They are good. Precepts are right. And notice what it does for us. It does something. Rejoicing the heart. God's word rejoices our hearts. It's not simply the precepts only that rejoice our heart. It's God's word. Remember, it's giving different descriptions. They all come together to give us an idea of God's word. And it says here, they rejoice the heart. When you receive God's word with a right heart, you're going to rejoice. You're going to rejoice. If you are lacking joy, I posit to you, your joy is lacking because something has gotten in the way of his word. Something, something's going on. Sin, something or other, going on. What did the psalmist see in Psalm one 14? I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I rejoice. I rejoice. The word of God causes t- us to rejoice internally. It brings joy. Well, notice next, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The term pure here speaks of that in the sense of being clean. Now, there's a, it'll say clean later on. It's interesting. Both these words can be translated clean or pure, but they're different words. It's different versions have them flipped around. One says clean and pure. One says pure, then clean. Well, what's he talking about here? This term pure speaks of clean in, with the idea of not being dirty, not being dirty, not being impure because of dirt and impurities. Okay, so God's word is clean. It's it's pure, enlightening the eyes, or literally continually causing the eyes to be enlightened. That's what God's does. It's God's word opens our eyes. You have that idea. I saw the light. Why? Well, I I got it. I figured it. I I, I understood. God's word opens our eyes to see where we truly are and who he truly is and what he's truly done for us. It convicts us if we're willing to see. Now the Israelites, they shut their ears and they closed their eyes willingly to the truth of God. And some people, maybe you've done that. Pray for God's mercy that you wouldn't be hardened unto destruction. So God uses his word through his spirit to enlighten us, to convict us, to expose, to shine, uh, expose. Now in scripture, even the New Testament, we see the term enlightened is synonymous with understanding or hearing the gospel of salvation. Jesus came into the world enlightening every man. He made the gospel clear. Now they didn't respond, but he made it clear. They got it and they rejected it. They rejected it. But when we believe, it's synonymous with actually being, being, believing the truth. Hebrews 10.32, But remember the former days after when being enlightened. That's when they got saved. You endured such a conflict of sufferings. When you got saved, you're like, whoa, I see it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Oh, my, I'm on my way to hell. Lord Jesus, save me. My eyes were opened. My eyes were opened. Now, some people have their eyes opened, but they don't respond. And they are about to go back to destruction. This is what's being said in Hebrews chapter 6. It's a, some people think it's a difficult passage to interpret, but in light of other scriptures, I think it's pretty straightforward. Hebrews 6, four, 4, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, hey, they heard the gospel, they actually got it, they got it. They didn't respond, but they got it. Remember, Jesus enlightens every man. Having tasted the heavenly gift, hey, the Spirit of God made partake of the Spirit, they were convicted. You see, the only, thing that, the only sin that's unforgivable is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, by the way. They were convicted. And having tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come, hey, they were around believers. It says here, and they have then fallen away, apostatized. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified the Son of God and put Him to open shame. When you reject the truth of Jesus, there's no other salvation. You're in deep trouble. So then, we see that God's word enlightens our eyes. It enlightens our eyes. It opens our eyes continually. Second Timothy three sixteen, we are reproved. God's word exposes it, exposes our sin, exposes truth, lightens our eyes. Then notice verse nine. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. Remember the fear of the Lord speaks of the fear that God's word brings forth in context. So then God's word is clean. I remember I said the clean and pure, you can flip them around. Here, this clean is often translated pure. How about that? (laughs) It's often translated in front of the word gold, pure gold, pure gold or clean gold, but it's really pure gold. It speaks of that without impurities. It's not contaminated. It's not impure, but pure. It's gold that has been refined. It's pure. It's like that. There's no impurities. God's word is pure. Not only is it not dirty, it is pure. It is pure. It is clean. It is pure. It's not contaminated. So we have the idea of God's word being tested and found pure. It's pure. Even we see that again. The words of the Lord are pure words, Psalm 12, 6. As silver tried in a furnace on on the earth, refined seven times, Evil plans, Proverbs fifteen twenty six, are an abomination to the Lord. But pleasant words are pure. They're pure. They're pure. And notice, lastly, we have the statement: the judgments of the Lord are what? True. True. They are righteous all together. Here we have the pinnacle of the descriptions of God's word: is true and righteous. And notice we don't have a description at this point of what it does. We'll see it in a minute in the next portion. It's true and righteous. The term true speaks of that which is reliable and valid, that which is real and genuine. Truth is always opposed to that which is false. In Scripture, we see that truth is an innate characteristic of the living God. It is an attribute of his character. In John 3.33 and Psalm 31, we see that God is true. God is true. The Father's true, right? Into thy hand I commit thy spirit. Psalm 31.5, thou hast ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. God of truth. We know that God is full of abundant, abounding and loving kindness. In truth, Exodus 34, you could look at that portion. In John 7.28 and 8.26, uh, Jesus says of the Father, he who sent me is true. Concerning the spirit, we have many passages that speak of the spirit of truth. In the book of John, John 14, 16 to 17, 15, 26, 16, 13, the spirit of truth. It's our truth. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We know that he was full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. We know that we learned Christ, Ephesians 4, just as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. And because God is true, he cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. His word is true. And all throughout scripture, I have a million verses. Well, not a million, I'm using hyperbole. I have a lot of verses here. I'm not going to read all of them that speak of the truth of God's word. Remember our passage here. The word of God is true. The word of God is true, right? It's true. Psalm 119.42, the righteous, the, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. Psalm 119.151, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Psalm 119.59, Consider how I love thy precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. The sum of thy word is truth. Second Samuel 7.28, David's prayer, he says, Thou art a God, Thou art God, and thy words are truth. John 17, 17, this is the Lord Jesus praying, Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. 2 Thessalonians two thirteen. we saw it earlier, that we are sanctified through faith, so the Spirit and faith in the truth. The truth. The gospel is the message of truth. Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, the word of truth. In contrast to uh, what the bad guys are doing, uh we need to not be ashamed but handling the word of truth accurately, second Timothy chapter two. We know in the last days there's gonna be imposters that proceed from bad to worse, but Timothy preached the word in season and out of season why there's gonna be people that don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it and they're gonna turn away their ears from listening to the truth. The truth. So then we have god 's word is true, His word is true, but it is also righteous altogether, righteous. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are all they're righteous all together, righteous all together. What does that mean? That means that they are just, they are upright, they are righteous, all of them. everything is in His word. everything in god 's word is upright, it is just, it is righteous. It is righteous, and I want to read some. Turn to Psalm 119, and we're going to see that along with the psalmist declaring the truth of God's word, he declares the righteousness of God's word, the uprightness, the uprightness. There's a lot said here, so I guess we need to see it. Psalm 119, verse 7. I'll give thanks to thee with uprightness of heart when I learn thy righteous judgments. That's what we're seeing Psalm 119.62. At midnight I shall rise up to give thee thanks because of thy righteous ordinances. Mm-hmm. Psalm 119.75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous. Now you'll never hear this in a counseling session, by the way, and that in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. Well, you'll say later on it was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy law. Hey, I got afflicted. I didn't like it. It was affliction, but God used it that I would learn his word. It's good in that sense. Psalm 119.106, I have sworn and I will confirm it, that I will keep thy righteous ordinances. Psalm 119.23, my eyes fail with longing for thy salvation and for thy righteous word. Righteous word. Psalm 119.137, righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thou hast commanded thy testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. 119, 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is truth. 119, 144, 144, thy testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I might live. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of thy word is truth and every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. Here we have truth and righteousness. God's word described that way as in our passage. Verse 164, seven times a day I praise thee because of thy righteous ordinances. Have you ever said, Lord, your your word is right. It's right. And and when I'm in contradiction to it, I'm wrong. I'm wrong, right? 119, 172, let my tongue sing of thy word for all thy commandments are righteous. So we have a tremendous declaration of of the word of God, and we're out of time. But we're going to come back next week, Lord willing, and we're going to look at the rest of this, the value of God's word and how we're to respond. The value of it and how we're to respond. So with that in mind, what have we learned and what can we apply so far? First of all, we've learned that the heavens are declaring, telling, or recounting of the glory of God through what he's made. And there's no one hidden from it. Everyone, everyone has experienced the heat of the sun, Everyone has heard what God is declaring through what he has made, and they're without excuse. No choice. You hear it when the sun beats down on you. You hear it. okay. And yet God has spoken very specifically. If you're willing to listen to it, you'll hear it. And there's great reward for doing so. We'll see there's great eternal reward for those who believe the gospel. There's great reward for those who obey God's word who keep it. There's great reward. And secondly, there's great value in God's word because He of what it is and what it does. We saw the word of the Lord is perfect, complete, without error, without blemish. It's sure, it's solid. Um, it's straight, not perverted or twisted, it's pure in the sense it's not dirty, it's clean in the sense it's pure, it's not it has impurities, it's true, it's just and upright, and what it does is it returns our souls, restores our souls, it makes the simple wise, it brings joy to the heart, it enlightens our eyes, it endures forever, as we'll see, it endures forever, and folks, on the heels of what we've seen here, and we're going to see next week, it is completely valuable. It is valuable. So with that in mind I want to close by reading the latter portion of this verse 10 they are more desirable than gold yes much than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb moreover by them thy servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward who can discern his these are hidden faults things you don't see things the sins that are so we'll see sins that you didn't intend Who can discern his errors? Quit me of his hidden, of hidden faults. Also keep back, hold back thy servant from prideful, presumptuous, insolent sins. That's outright sinning, by the way. Let them not rule over me. That's what happens when we do that. Then I shall be blameless. Faith he has completed the complete forgiveness and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, you are so gracious and kind. You are amazing. And Lord, every one of us can't miss uh, the, the declaration of your glory in the heavens. Lord, but we can miss the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that we would have a heightened sense of appreciation for what you have freely given to us, which we can understand now by your spirit. I pray we would see it for how you have described it. Lord, I pray you would, you, we would allow you to let us restore our souls, to open our eyes, to rejoice in what you've done, to, to be changed, Lord God, to be changed. And, Lord, I pray that uh, anyone listening who doesn't know you, that their eyes will be open to their sin, and they would turn and believe in your Son, Jesus, through your word. And lastly, Lord, for us, may we increase our understanding of the value of your word. May we allow you to do your great work in us, your handiwork through your word in us, through your word. We need you, Lord. We pray you would do so. In Jesus' name, amen.